You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Good morning. Join me as we pray for Doxa Church and Chewy and the leadership team and for our network. Father, I think it's easy for me and easy for us to forget that we share something in common with people around the world, the same identity that we've received the same way, only by your grace, only through faith in Christ alone. We're united as saints. We're united in that we are set apart by your grace. Father, I pray that the gospel would just move forth in Mexico City. We pray for Chile, we pray for the leadership team, we pray for Docs at church, that the gospel would remain central, that it's the message that is proclaimed, that it's the very message that has the power and the ability to reconcile and unify people. Thank you, Jesus, for the gospel, for the good news. Let us celebrate it this morning. Let, let, let our souls be stirred to worship this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you're a God that has spoken through your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the kiddos that we have inside of our church. Father, I pray that we as a church family would love and serve them well, that our leadership would equip parents to disciple them well, to point them to Jesus, to an identity that is unshakable. We confess our need for you. Speak to us this morning, Father, through your spirit. Minister to us. Heal us where we're wounded. Convict us where we've strayed. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's really, really important that you remember August 7th. We're not going to be here, okay? I don't want you to show up and think everyone was raptured and you're one of the few that was left behind. So, okay, so don't show up here on August 7th because you're going to (laughs) be disappointed or think the church is dying or something, okay? Just a challenge to my young adult brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? Savory does not mean Doritos, okay? We don't need 40 bags of Doritos, so I challenge you to venture out. Let's see what you can... We'll see what you can cook up. It's not a bag of Doritos. So with that, let's dive into the word. We're finishing our series this morning, Sermon on the Mount. So turn to Matthew chapter seven, Matthew seven. We've been in this series titled Live for the past few months. We're wrapping it up this morning. It's the Sermon on the Mount. We've titled it Live because we understand this, that the God of the universe didn't remain removed from his creation. Instead, he stepped in. And the reason that God stepped in is because God had set aside commands a way to live, and a way to live a good and holy and righteous life, but humanity was unable to fulfill it. So God stepped in through the person and work of Jesus Christ to fulfill every one of those commands in the way that we can't. So it's really important that you understand the Christian message that we call the gospel is not a list of do's and don'ts. It actually starts with that, that we can't, Christ did, and that's our basis, that's our foundation, that's where we start. And so it's really important that if you're new or you're here, you're checking it out, that that's the message of Christianity. It's called good news because Christ stepped in to live the life that we couldn't live. But then what he does is he empowers us with his spirit to live life the way that his law, his word sets out. And so we're gonna look at that this morning. And we believe this, that following God's commands isn't some, I don't know, lackluster, just joyless life. It's actually a life that produces, as his word says, abundant life. And so his law is good, It's just incapable to save us, which is why Christ stepped in. So this morning, we're going to be concluding this sermon series titled Live, verses 24 through 29. Read with me. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, 
and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. This is the main point this morning. If I want you to walk out remembering one thing, it's this, Christ the rock. We could say Christ our rock, but Christ the rock. And, and, and I'll make this statement that this morning, you're either standing on the foundation of Christ, his work in the gospel, or you're standing on a foundation of sand. So one of two foundations, as this passage lays out for us, you're either standing on Christ the rock, a sure and steady foundation, or you're standing upon sand. We're not given a bunch of different options. The unique thing about this text is this, that there's two people building a house, and externally the houses look the same. They seem to be close to one another because they're both affected by the same storm. And so from the outside, the houses look the same. What you don't get to see from the outside of a house is the foundation that is laid under the house, which we would all hopefully recognize the most important thing in building a house is to have a solid and firm foundation. It's why the first thing that happens whenever they build a house is not the roof, but it's the foundation in which the house is built upon. And so Christ is, is, is saying, you have two options. You're either building on the rock, which we're going to look that that is ultimately Christ, or you're building on sand. And so the question for us today is, what are you building on? What is your foundation? What is the foundation of your life? Is it Christ, the gospel, as your rock? Or is it sand, a foundation that can be washed away? We're going to look at it through these subpoints. His people, Christ's people, will be rock. Two, his work and grace remains. Three, that flows directly from that. His people will never be removed. And four, his people relinquish. Let me run through those again. Main point, Christ the rock. His people will be rocked. His work and grace remains. His people will not be removed. And his people relinquish. I think it's important that we start with this as we look here at, at, at what Christ is saying. If we go back to the beginning, we, which we did this last time in the Sermon on the Mount, we understand this, that it starts off with a list of Beatitudes. And the very first thing Christ says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that are bankrupt. Blessed are those who understand that you do not have enough goodness in you to set yourself apart and make yourself holy before a holy and righteous God. And so the very first thing is, is blessed are those who recognize that you're spiritually incapable of saving yourself. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is not you figuring out how you can muster up and fulfill all of God's commands and do them perfectly. I'll quote the Protestant Martin Luther. He says this, Christ is saying nothing in this sermon about how we become Christians, but only about the works and fruit that no one can do unless he is a Christian and in a state of grace. So again, if you read the Sermon on the Mountain and go, man, it's a good set of moral ethics that, that, that I can adhere to, try it for a day. The, the summation of the law is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself. If you're being honest and wrote down on a piece of paper and I said, hey, tell me the names of your neighbors, that might be a struggle. So tell me how, how many times you've prayed for your neighbors over the past week. Tell, tell me about the times you've prayed for them over the past year. Tell me about the things that we've loved more than God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think most of us would be honest enough to be like, I don't know if I've done that once this year. If the summation of the law is to love God and love our neighbor, then we can say, man, we're probably not, we're probably not going to arrive at it through our own efforts, which means this, that if you read and understand the Sermon on the Mount accurately, you have to understand this, that it's throwing you at the feet of Jesus to say, I can't, you did. Thank you. Now empower me. That's, that's the starting place. We, and, and, and what Jesus said right before this is, broad is the path that leads to destruction, narrow is the gate, and few find it. 
And the narrow gate is relying solely and completely upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ and not your own efforts. But he said before this that false prophets and teachers are going to come in and they're going to tell you all about the Broadway, all about the sandy foundations you can build your life upon. And then we read last time that we needed to understand how can we spot the fruit? The way we can spot the fruit is through today's text. When the storms of life hit and they will come. Christian, live long enough. I promise you this. You're going to be rocked. In fact, the Bible promises it. Here's a few verses. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Philippians 1.29 says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. It doesn't say that you will avoid them. It says when you go through them. The promise is God's faithfulness to remain with us. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This isn't a sadistic way to go through life rejoicing when hardships come, but it, what it's saying is this, and what the text is leading us to is this, is that trials are in our lives only by God's grace, and anything that comes our way in life as God's child has to come through his hands, which has to come from his heart, which means that it's a very means in a way to refine us. Romans 5, 3 through 4 talks about this. Why should we rejoice, as James says, in trials of various kinds? Why should we do that? Because it's going to do something in us. Ultimately, it's going to lead us to a greater hope in the love of Christ. Romans 5, 3 through 4 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We won't read the Peter passage, but Peter goes on to say, that we will be refined through trials and tribulations, through difficulties in life. The word of God makes a promise to you that when you live on this earth and when you live as a child of God, you're gonna be rocked. Notice the storm comes and the rain fell and the floods came 23 and the winds blew and beat on that house and the same thing happened to both houses. The rain fell, the winds came, it beat on both houses. You're gonna be rocked. What's gonna be telling is this, what is your foundation? The reason why the rocking comes, the reason why oftentimes this happens in this world is because we live in a fallen world. Let, let, me, let me explain what I mean by that. I don't mean that, that planet Earth is falling into some deep abyss. I mean this, that we live in a world that's been tainted by sin. When, when Christians use the word fallen, what we understand is that, is that we've been marred by sin. Sin is not something floating out there. It's a state of our human condition. And, and if you don't believe this, hang out with kids. Man, like... I, I never, I, there was no one in my family that taught our kids that punching dad in the, in the sweet spot was a good thing to do. There's no one that taught our kids that biting was an okay form of behavior. There's no one that taught our kids screaming mine is something that my wife and I do. Where do they learn this from? It's a fallen sinful condition and it permeates our culture. And because of that fall, what we have in our world is death. What we also have is pain and suffering. The reason why there's miscarriages the reason why there's divorce, the reasons why there's orphans, the reasons why there's pain and cancer, 
and there's horrific things that happen to us in this life is the result of sin. Sadly, I think many people think that these things happen to them just because they've done something bad. But oftentimes it can be the result of us living inside of a fallen world. This is why it's so important to stand on a foundation of Christ, to have a foundation of Christ, because anything else that you're standing on, when the storms come in life, when you get rocked, it's going to be telling because the house will blow away. The whole thing's going to unravel. The whole thing's going to fall apart. This is why we get to join in with the old hymn writer, Edward Mote, who lived in the 18 and 1900s. He was a, 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 a Baptist minister. But what's incredible, he was a cabinet builder for 37 years and wrote this song as a cabinet builder. Maybe you're familiar with it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. Tell me what's in that song and that hymn that's about you. Because the song is about Christ, his righteousness, his faithfulness, what he has done, what he's accomplished, and our ability to rest on that. When the storms of life hit, and they're going to hit, and they're going to rock us, we're, we're going to be quick to find out what message stands and what your foundation is and what you're standing upon. That's why a prosperity gospel that says you should be healthy, wealthy, and happy is damning and damaging to people. Because when hardships hit in life, which we just saw the word of God says they're going to happen, and you go through pain and you go through suffering, if you've been told your whole life that as long as you serve Jesus really faithful and really well, then he's gonna bring a lot of blessings and goodness and promises to your life and it's all gonna be merry and just, just happiness and just all sorts of prosperity and blessings and stuff like that, then you're confused. I believe Christ does bring goodness. I believe he does bring blessing. But to believe that it comes in some monetary form, some prosperity blessing, I think is erroneous. <laughs> unhelpful. And in fact, the reason why the Pharisees' teaching could not stand, and when the storm rocked them, they had nothing to stand on because the Pharisees and scribes believed this way. They believed that if you were born blind, which we see in the gospel of John, that you did something or your parents did something wrong, you're just getting what, what you deserve. And they believed that if you were a leper, you deserved to be one because you probably did something wrong and you deserved, and God was only giving you what you deserve. What happens to them when they come down with leprosy. What happens to them when a storm comes their way? They don't have a foundation of Christ. They have a foundation of what they've done, what they can build, what they can do, what they've accomplished, and it's sand. That's what it is. You know, our storms really actually tell us what our theology is. Let me challenge you with this. If something doesn't go your way in life and you get mad at God and say, how could you? Because I've been reading my Bible. I've been doing this. I've been doing really good things. I've been showing up to church. What you have just stated before God is that you should be blessing me because of my obedience and not because of Christ. That's not the gospel. And that's why storms start to reveal that sort of stuff. And, and, and I know this is a petty example, so just hear me out and then I'll give some real examples, okay? I was on a flight with some friends coming home this last week, all right? And it was the worst flight I've been on. Just to back up that I'm not a complete wuss, Brad said it's also the worst flight he's been on, okay? 
Before that, which this might shock you. If it does, I'm sorry, stick around. I can think I can help out your shock factor with being around me for a season of time. So I was in the bathroom, and I thought Ian Wheeler, our worship director, was next to me on the, the toilet, okay? So I decided what would be more helpful than having a Spotify playlist play some songs for Ian while he's taking a bathroom break, right? So I'm playing Let It Go by Frozen and Drop It Like It's Hot because I thought that would be funny. I'm not saying I'm mature. I'm just saying I thought it'd be funny. <clears throat> so I did that. And I came out of the bathroom only to find that Ian <laughs> was standing over by our gate. And I'm like, you weren't in the bathroom? He's like, no. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my. I was like, I can't even get a chuckle out of this guy. It wasn't Ian. We get on the flight. I'm watching a movie. The crosswind on the runway was throwing our plane around, right? I didn't think we were going to live through that. Once we got up, I was like, well, we're up. Hopefully it'll be better. And it was just so choppy, so choppy. I'm freaking out. The stewardess has the audacity to say, isn't this fun on the, on the, on the intercom? I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a bit insensitive to the probably over half people here that don't think this is fun. Just a side note, they dropped down oxygen. I think they need to drop down like a tranquilizer or like a pill or something because I needed, I needed something. And so in that moment, this, this, is, this is the honest truth. I started confessing. I'm like, maybe... Maybe I need to have a come to Jesus moment here. And maybe, uh, so I was like, the bathroom experience, I'm watching this movie, I hand my iPad to Brad. <laughs> now, you know, I'm like, if God strikes us down, strike him down. He's watching this movie, not me. Anything like that. The honest truth is in that moment, it's ridiculous, but I was believing that God's blessing, curses, and all that stuff are a direct result of my obedience. And something that shows us at a deeper level are a few stories that we can look upon in history. For instance, Jerry Sitzer, on September 29th, 1991, received word from the Idaho State Police that not only was his mom killed in a car accident, but his wife and his four-year-old daughter, who then authored a book called Grace Disguised. I would recommend it. Same thing happened on December 14, 2012, this time to Scarlett Lewis. This was the day she lost her six-year-old son in the Sandy Hook shooting. This is her quote. I can still remember driving home that evening, glancing back in disbelief at an empty car seat that had served so well to contain a bubbling, smiling first grader just hours before. I share this to say this. She too went on to build out a nonprofit ministry. The storms of this life are going to be telling where our foundation is. They're going to rock us, but here's the truth of God's word. They will not remove us when we have a foundation in Christ. His work and grace remains. What we also need to see is this, that Christ's work and grace remains. As he's been unpacking through this entire sermon, it's not, here's your work. It's ultimately Christ pointing us to his work and to what he's done, what he's accomplished, what he can do. Again, the rain fell and the floods came. What we need to see is that his work and his grace remains constant in our lives. We need that constant. We need that reminder. And if you understand what's being conveyed here, it's this that Christ's life is our Petra. Let me explain this. Look at the text with me. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The Greek word there is Petra. There is literally a place in the country of Jordan called Petra. And it's built in the cleft of the rocks. And it still stands today. After all the earthquakes, after all the floods and winds, Petra still stands. It's the rock. Now keep reading with me. 
And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus is not using some uh, just obscure random things. He's actually talking about places that would have been familiar. And everyone who hears these words, 26 in mind, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the amon. Amos is the Greek word. It means sand. There's also a place in Jordan, which is the capital called Amon. And guess what it is? Tons of sand. And lots of people in Amon have died from flash floods because of the fact that sand, much like even Southern California places like this, can't handle those kind of storms at that amount of time. And so massive flooding happens. Jesus is actually literally saying, there's a place called Petra. It's a rock. It's a sure foundation. It's where you want to build a house. It's what you want to build upon. There's also a place called a moss, a mon, and it's a place of sand. When the floods come, they will. It won't stand. So let me ask this question this morning. What is your Petra? What is your rock? I think the better question is this. What is the sand that you're building your life upon? What is the sand? Let me read through a few. A relationship. Right now, a relationship could be your sand. In other words, if someone leaves you, doesn't approve of you, or hurts you, and this relationship is connected to who you are at the core, then you are standing on sand. When when someone's approval of you has the ability to impact your self-worth, you're building on quicksand. Why? Because at any moment, people in life can walk away from you. That's a sad reality. In fact, this morning, I I was leaving my house, and I asked my wife, uh, I was like, are we good? Are we good? What I'm asking is this, are, are we good because I need us to be good in order for me to be good? In, in other words, my, my foundation can be that I'm on good terms with my wife. It can be that I have good relationships with other people. It can be that other people like me. Quicksand. Because that kind of foundation doesn't leave place in my life for me to be able to say hard and difficult things that are loving to people, to be able to parent my kids, to be able to do stuff like this because it's a quicksand foundation. Your marriage, a better marriage, Friendships, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, cannot be the foundation your life is built upon. Here's another one. A certain future, in other words, an idealistic future, a, a certain utopian, uh, utopian society or utopian future that you've planned out. Thinking the way life should work or go for you is often the place of safety for these types of people. So I think life should go like this. I think things should look like this. I think I should kind of progress here with this career and keep moving along. And when things don't, I've set out everything in my life. That's my sand. It should look like this. Nothing looks like this. And so I'm rattled. Let me say this, just as a quick interjection, that the circumstances in our life, including the things that we do, don't define us. I believe they're God's intention to refine us. So the circumstances we go through The things that we do do not define you as a child of God. I believe they're put in your life to refine you. So when a certain future you've planned out doesn't come to pass, maybe it's God's refining work for placing your hoe back in a sure foundation on Christ instead of the sand that you were building your life upon. Let me tell you this. I I, I never planned in my future to be someone who daily wrestles with anxiety and who has bouts of depression that are so bad that it feels crippling never planned in my life to have a past year that was incredibly, incredibly difficult. But I do know this, that I believe that I feel and understand God's love and his presence more and our family does over this past year than any other time. An, I, an idealistic future is not a 
a sure foundation. Here, here's another one <clears throat> that's saying productivity. Welcome to the West. This is a big one for people, which is why people are exhausted or their families are neglected. They are standing on the sand of what they can get done, produce, or build, and if they weren't able to do much, their lives fall apart. They are an accident away from being in a place of despair. In other words, if your sand is what you can produce in your life and an accident happens your way, this has happened. This has happened to a friend of mine where uh, a really intelligent person had to go back to a great school level of reading. Someone who could walk and no longer walk, so they're not able to produce the things they could. If that's your foundation, what you can produce, let me assure you this, you are on sand. Financial security. No one thinks they can lose everything, which only gives people a greater sense of false security. Financial security comes in the way of talking about your finances, looking at your finances, and constantly monitoring your accounts. It's quicksand. Let me end with this one, self-righteousness. Your security in the sand in which you stand upon is how faithful you are, your works, and this is why you offer little to grace to others who can't seem to get their act together. Self-righteous sand is scary because it really looks like you're on a rock until the storm hits and you become angry with God because he's allowing something painful to come your way, and you're an awesome, faithful person. The Pharisees and scribes wouldn't be able to stand, as I said, under a trial like this. We need something that remains. We need the Petra, the rock, Jesus Christ. Let me give you the good news. Christ is the only one in human history that loved his enemies perfectly. In fact, he shouted from the cross for Father to forgive them. They know not what they're doing. As we look to the Sermon on the Mount, he was perfect in his anger. He was perfect in lust. As in, he never lusted. His eyes were pure. He was perfectly satisfied in God. He perfectly prayed with the right motives. His heart displayed generosity. He served with the right motives. Christ's work, specifically and namely right now, his life has to be your Petra. It has to be your rock. You cannot build upon your life, your works, your efforts, what you're doing moment by moment. Your Petra, your rock bed that's not gonna shake is Christ's life that was lived for you. That's what we call news. It's good news because it was something that was done 2,000 years ago. Just the other day, Sydney McLaughlin won the 400-meter hurdle. She set a new world record. That's news. What can we do about it today? Nothing. We can accept it or reject it, but it's news. What you can do with Christ's life that was lived for you is you can either accept it or reject it, which means you're left either standing on your own righteousness or his righteousness. But also, his grace remains because the cross and his work on the cross is also our Petra. You have to hear this. Please hear me in this. That God's wrath was satisfied completely. His holy, righteous wrath was satisfied with Christ on the cross, which means this. Christ took all of our sins upon himself, all of our faults, all of our wrongs, and all of our condemnation that they deserve. He took, which means this. In Christ, you are found faultless, only right, and with no condemnation left for you. It's not like, Jesus, it's not like God left a, just a small cup of wrath for you. It was poured out completely. Christ drank it all. He absorbed the wrath of God that we should, should have, and God is satisfied in the work that his son did on the cross for you and for me, period. He satisfied it. His work on the cross. Do you know this, that right now in this moment in Christ, God sees no fault, no wrong, only what's right. He sees victory because Christ, his son, was victorious over every sin for you. When Christ walked out of the grave, those works are our Petra, our foundation. 
Here, here's what else is. His faithfulness, his covenant is our Petra. It's not our faithfulness to God, as Paul says in 2 Timothy. It's his faithfulness to us, his covenant that he's made with us. That's our Petra. That's our rock. It will remain. It will never shift. You can't go back in time and undo Christ's work. It remains. And here's the thing. You can't undo God's grace or change his grace and his love for you, which leads us to our next point. His people will never be removed. And what I mean is you will not be removed from his satisfaction, from his care, and from his love. That's infinite. Think about this. Think about a shadow. I was going for a walk the other day, and the sun was at my back, which means the shadow is going to be in front of me. I, 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 can't, I can't shake a shadow. I can't get rid of it. It's connected to who I am. I, I could do a little dance and stuff, but the shadow is just going to do it with me, right? What would it take for me to get rid of the shadow? I'd have to blot out the sun, which I can't do. I can't control the clouds. I can't make an eclipse. I can't do anything like that. I'm powerless to do that. You have to hear this. You are powerless to blot out Christ's love for you when you've placed your trust and faith in him. You are one with him. You are connected with him. His grace is that you are reconciled to God with infinite love that moves at you, toward you, and is for you constantly. Just even more than your shadow is, so you will never be removed from the love of Christ. That produces freedom and courage in our lives. Last, his people relinquish. Christ is our rock. He's the foundation. Let me just add this real quick because I do think it's important. The Jewish people did not understand this. And so Paul Paul was addressing them on this specific subject. In Romans 10, he says this, brothers, and he's talking to his Jewish brothers. He's like, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. In other words, you're either standing today on your own ability to produce your own righteousness, sand, or the Petra of Christ's righteousness that he's produced and given to you. This is why Titus 3, 4 through 5 says this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If we go through the list of every one of those pieces of sand that we can build our life on, financial security, self-righteousness, productivity. We know and understand this, that Christ speaks to them all. How and why? Because he gives us an identity in him with his love that cannot be removed, which means that we have a secure foundation in him for all eternity, which means that people that understand this relinquish their own self-righteousness. Believe what it says in John 6, 39 and 640. We we covered this last time. For this is the will of my Father. What's God's will? That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. You will relinquish to God's will, believing in the Son, not in your own works, but you will also relinquish, where else does it say in Scripture, God's will? It says in 1 Thessalonians. Look here, 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What's the will of God that you believe in his son? But what else is the will of God that from your belief in the son, for the grace that he has for you, for the infinite love that he's produced and he's given to you, now a life reflecting the holiness and the goodness that's been given to you. Well, how do we produce sanctification? Thankfully, scripture answers that. In John 17, 17, it says this, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. In other words, we relinquish doing life our own way. We relinquish 
doing life to where we say, I want Jesus to be my savior and save me and forgive me, but I want to be the Lord and king of my life. You either get Jesus as king, Lord, and savior, or you don't get him. And the people that understand the grace that he's bestowed, that have Christ as their Petra, go, I want to live according to God's word. It's funny. I shouldn't say it's funny. It, it's ironic to me that, that people get mad thinking of the thought of Jesus saying what he said in the passage before, depart from me, I never knew you. I like what Jeffrey O'Hara says in his poem. He says this. This is people that have a lot of head knowledge or profess Christ as Savior but don't want him as Lord. Say this too. You don't get Jesus as king of the good times. You get Jesus as king of the good times and the bad times. Listen to what Jeffrey O'Hara says. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me the life and live me not. You call me master and obey me not. You call me bread and eat me not. You call me truth and believe me not. You call me Lord and serve me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. His people relinquish. We we relinquish to our own self-righteousness. We relinquish to his will. And we relinquish this, that it's not king of the mountain in Christianity. It's not knocking people off the top. It's this. It's recognizing that we are all unified on the same foundation of Christ, and none of us got there. Which means this, what you have to relinquish is if you're spiraling in some cynical, woe is me, I believe coming back to Christ as your sure rock and foundation squashes that. I'm not getting this, or people aren't doing this for me, or no one's recognizing me here or saying thank you here. If you are in that spot, grace is the thing that's going to bring you back. Recognizing this, you were not on the side of the mountain, striving to climb to the top of it. You were dead on the bottom of the mountain, helpless to get up to the top. Christ came down, breathed life into your soul, and placed you on top where you are sure, where you have sure footing for all eternity. You got there one way. God's grace, all of Christ's work. This doesn't leave room to be like, well, I'm not getting this. And it also doesn't leave room for criticisms. What it leaves room for is this, is that we get to humbly serve one another and we get to go out and proclaim Christ to a world that has a false foundation. Let let me say two things in closing. The reason why empty seats bother me is not because I want to build a bigger church. Empty seats bother me because they can reflect souls that could be sitting here that have a false foundation of sand and I want them to know who Christ is, what he's done and the foundation they can have in him. God's plan to bring that sort of redemption to our world is the people of God going out and radically loving our world, telling them the good news of the gospel, which means we're going to have to relinquish some of our Netflix, some of our comfort, some of the things we like to do and get out of our comfort zones to love and serve others. If you're at a difficult spot in life, know this, your difficult spot grieves also the heart of God. And let me close with Luther saying here, This is the heart of someone who understands. I am in God's family because he said, I want that man or that woman in my family so much so that I'm willing to let my son go through hell on a cross to accomplish it. Here's the quote. This then is the first work of God, that he is merciful to all who are ready to do without opinion, right, wisdom, and all spiritual goods and are to be poor in spirit. These are they who truly fear God, who count themselves not worthy of anything, be it ever so small, and are glad to be naked and bare before God and man, who ascribe whatever they have to his pure grace, bestowed on the unworthy who use it with praise and fear and thanksgiving as though it belongs to one another, and who seek not their own will, desire, or honor, but his alone to whom it belongs. 
Jesus, we thank you that you are a rock, our sure foundation. We are there not because of our efforts, not because of our works, but because of what you've done. We pray in your name. Amen.